Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 158. We are so glad that you're joining Leading Simple today where we're offering hope and help for the overwhelmed. And today, for anybody who's overwhelmed with how to market a business, how to get the word out there about your platform, what it is you're trying to do, how you're trying to make an impact in your church, there are so many different resources out there to help you make an impact, make a difference, maybe make a buck. How do you know who to listen to? Well, we got the guy to listen to. His name is Jeff Henderson. He's our guest today, and he was recently named by Forbes magazine as one of the 20 speakers you shouldn't miss. Jeff has helped lead three of North Point Ministries churches in Atlanta. Uh, in the area since 2003, and he's a much sought-after thought leader. Jeff knows the value of effective communication to spur growth and believes it's the key to impact change in one's life ultimately. He has extensive uh, marketing background with the Atlanta Braves, the Callaway Gardens, Lake Lanier Islands, and Chick-fil-A, which we should just stop right there. Chick-fil-A, Christian Chicken, that's all you need to know. And he's recently created a brand new company called The Four Company, F-O-R, and he helps churches and businesses grow by using the four strategy. We're going to talk about that today, and so you're going to love our conversation. Today, our episode is sponsored, again, by Red Letter Challenge. Uh, Red Letter Challenge is founded uh, by a great group of people that they have been guests on this podcast before, Zach Zender specifically, and you can find out more about them on our show notes, but specifically redletterchallenge.com. If you're looking for a devotional guide to go through with your church, with a small group, maybe with a group of guys, a group of women, maybe even in your family, Start right here. Red Letter Challenge uh, is just a great, great 40-day study to do. So check that out, redletterchallenge.com. If you have questions or if you'd like to sponsor the show, you can hit me up at rgeorge at reallifechurch.org or at RustyLGeorge on Twitter and Instagram. Well, here we go. My conversation with Jeff Henderson. Jeff Henderson, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We're really glad to have you on the show. Rusty, great to be here. Big fan of what you're doing and love our, looking forward to our conversation, but I love what you and the team are doing out there. Well, thank you. Well, for our listeners who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background. You grew up as a preacher's kid. You spent some time with Chick-fil-A, some time in ministry. Give us kind of the timeline here. Yeah, so I, I as you mentioned, grew up a preacher's kid, so I promised myself I would never, ever, ever, never work at a church. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> in fact, my dad said, you know, if you could go do something else and be a piece about that, go do that. So I developed an interest. I was a big sports fan. Unfortunately, I grew up in Atlanta. So as you know, we mm. didn't, didn't really have a whole lot to cheer for. But uh, but love sports. I didn't know that you could do sports and marketing at the same time. So started my career working for the Atlanta Braves, and then eventually was that the long- Dale Murphy days or post Dale Murphy? Oh, this is Dale Murphy. This was in the Dale Murphy uh, years. In fact, Ooh. I have so many really cool autographs from Dale. Um, but um, it, it was fantastic. I mean, growing up, I'm mean, a huge Hank Aaron fan. Hank Aaron, yeah, uh, office two offices down from me. So I remember one time, Rusty, he waved at me when he was leaving, and I, I just tried to be really cool. But I was like, the home run king is waving at me. I'll never forget <laughs> that moment. But he was always very, very kind to me. Um, so did that, you know, kind of had a variety of other roles in marketing uh, for about 17 years, really. But then eventually wound up at Chick-fil-A and handled all of their sports marketing, beverage marketing, and, and regional marketing for them, and, and absolutely loved it. And, you know, the, the retention rate at, at Chick-fil-A is like 95%. Only crazy wow. people ever leave. But Wendy and I made a, a, a fatal flaw or a fatal mistake, rather, Rusty. We decided to start going to North Point Community Church in Atlanta. And I'm just kidding, but we loved it and just fell in love with it and got more and more and more and more and more involved until eventually they said, hey, we're, we're going to start this thing called Multisite and we're going to launch this church called Buckhead Church. And would you like to join in on the early days? And that was 18 years ago. So uh, fast forward to mm. today, I was fortunate to help launch three North Point uh, campuses, help launch the North Point online. And uh, but then during all this, over the last couple of years, um, wrote the four book, and it just really opened up a new season for me. My wife and I are empty nesters now, so she can kind of travel mm-hmm. with me now when we do travel and, and hang out. So that's quick, um, 
snapshot of my history. But I've spent a number of years in the business world, a number of years in the nonprofit world, and I just love both of those worlds. And I do feel, Rusty, that there's a lot that business leaders can learn from nonprofit leaders, and I feel like there's a lot that nonprofit leaders can learn from business leaders. And so having lived in both of those worlds and still do, I, I feel like I'm, I have a really um, cool advantage to be able to share with those kinds of leaders how you can learn from both sides. And that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about hearing you speak, uh, whether you were teaching at a North Point campus or at a, uh, you know, a business lecture or whatever it was. I love the way that your principles that you would talk about just kind of you know, cross-pollinated both those worlds. Um, and it seems like we often call Chick-fil-A you know, Christian chicken, but there's so many things that we've all learned from Chick-fil-A in, in the ministry realm. So before we dive into that, I've got to have you rank the chicken sandwiches, okay? I mean, this <laughs> yeah. is this is big time. I mean, it's like everybody's now redoing their chicken sandwich, um, and we all know that Chick-fil-A is the greatest, but have you had Popeye's, Wendy's, the new McDonald's, and the KFC one? And if so, can you rank them behind, of course, Chick-fil-A? Well, that's a good way to position this, Rusty. So... It's, you know, they call it the chicken sandwich wars. So, so there you yes. go. And you're going to be so disappointed in me. I have had, the only one I've had is the, um, is Popeye's, which I wasn't a, a huge fan of, I'll be honest with you, but I mean, I'm biased, right? So yeah. now I haven't hit, had any of the others. I don't know if it's because I feel like I would be cheating, you know, <laughs> or something, <laughs> but I will say this, I will say that I'm going to give a shout out to the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. I don't even know if Wendy's has spicy chicken sandwich anymore, but both of those sent my wife into labor. Uh, 21 and 19 years ago. So we, we have a soft spot in our in our hearts for uh, Wendy's Spicy Chicken Sandwich. I'll, I don't know if you guys have this out there, but Zaxby's, um, I haven't had their chicken sandwich yet, but they're more of a chicken finger place, but they are new to the chicken sandwich wars. And I tell you, their picture <laughs> of their chicken sandwich looks pretty pretty amazing. So, yeah. but I'll say this, you know, a lot of people will, will come up to me and they'll say, oh, I bet Chick-fil-A is really nervous. I'm like, no, not really. And and it's it's not because the sandwiches are bad, even though I haven't had them, Rusty, but it's all about culture and it's all about the the team culture and the organizational culture. And you can have a great product, but but sometimes, or not sometimes, I think the differentiation in a lot of organizations is what is the culture of working there. And I feel like um, obviously I'm biased. There's a customer service culture at Chick-fil-A that helps make their products taste even better than they do. You know, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I grew up in the Midwest and we had a, um, a chicken uh, restaurant there named uh, Grandy's. Remember Grandy's? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they were, man, they were amazing. And they were in our town in Wichita, Kansas, long before Chick-fil-A got there. And they just, they, they tried to have the customer service. They had the grandma-like woman walking around handing out rolls and all that. And the food was really good. But, but the quality just started to go downhill. Chick-fil-A comes in and it seems to be doing just the opposite. It gets better and better and the customer service gets better and better. I mean, what is it um, about customer service at Chick-fil-A that has not only set themselves apart, but been resilient over time? What did you notice while working there? Well, I'll give you give you an example. Cheryl Botchelder, who's the former CEO of Popeye's Chicken, she um, is a just a hero of mine and a good friend of ours. And I think she led one of the best business turnarounds in the last twenty years that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And but Cheryl said this. She said, you know, on this is obviously her perspective. She said, on taste, Jeff, I think we're the best. But what we can get better at is service, and Chick Fil A mm -hmm. has us there. And I think part of it comes down to a heart issue, honestly. Mm. And, you know, when it comes to what do you want to be known for right now, Chick-fil-A, and this is fairly recent, they want to be, and you won't see this publicly. So, Rusty, I'm giving you some insider information. All right. <laughs> Just so, between us. No extra charge for this. All right. Thank you. So the insider um, language at Chick-fil-A right now that, that you really want from a customer standpoint, see, but hopefully that they think they want you to feel it, is they want to be the world's most caring company. Hmm. And the thing I love about that, it has nothing to do with chicken. And it really has nothing to do with sales. It, it has to do with a heart issue. 
So, and, and I also think there's something about being a privately held company that allows you to go in those directions that a publicly held company with having to provide, you know, update every 90 days just puts you with a, a little bit more different pressure, if you will. And I think this allows Chick-fil-A to do some culture things, obviously being closed on Sunday being one of them. And so this idea of being the world's most caring company, well, if that's true, then you're going to have to deliver on a heart issue. The other mm. question they ask, one of the questions they ask when they are uh, deciding whether to partner with a franchisee operator is, would I want my kids to work for this person? Mm. And if the answer to that is no, that's a character issue and they move on. Now, there's no perfect organization. Every organization's got their issues. But I think from a customer service standpoint, understanding that the restaurant is a platform to serve people mm-hmm. and to care for them, it just puts customer service at a different level. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that another insider language is winning the customer's heart every day. That's what that's what they're trying to do. In fact, this morning I had a phone call with uh, really the future president of Chick-fil-A, Andrew Cathy. He's the grandson of Truett Cathy, uh, the founder. And, and he mentioned that. He goes, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to win the hearts of customers by caring uh, for them. So I think that idea of, of care is really important. This is, this is an example, though, Rusty, of what a business can learn from a nonprofit. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as a nonprofit leader like yourself, you don't have a chicken sandwich to sell. Right. <laughs> you know, in essence... You, in, in some ways, you're selling purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one time a friend of mine, when I was writing the Ford book, uh, I was telling him, hey, I think there's a lot that business leaders could learn from nonprofit leaders. Now, I went to college with this guy, so he could be honest with me. He said, Jeff, I, I don't think that's true. I mean, honestly, I mean, we're grateful for nonprofit leaders like yourself, but honestly, I don't think there's a lot I could learn from you. And I said, okay. I said, well, let me ask you this. How many of your employees do you pay? And he said, mm. what are you talking about? I said, how many of your employees do you pay? He goes, well, I pay all of them. I said, okay. Do you know how many uh, employees, if you will, that I pay that show up uh, every Sunday to volunteer and serve? Do you know what I pay them? I pay them a coffee and a donut, and they're called volunteers. And hundreds of them show up every Sunday. And they're not showing up for a paycheck. They're showing up for purpose. And if a business leader could understand how to com- could partner purpose with a compelling product, now you're on to something. That's why you need to listen to nonprofit leaders. And he's like, okay, I'm sold. So part of this idea hmm. is if you've got a really good product, that's great. But if you can combine that with a compelling purpose, then you begin to get into the landscapes of what I call the land of you know the, the blue ocean strategy or uh, where places where the competition can't touch you. And, you know, the quick service restaurant industry is notorious for competing on price. Mm. The Chick-fil-A doesn't have to. They're much more expensive than their competitors Mm -hmm. because they get to compete on purpose. And when you compete on purpose more than price, your profit can grow because your customers are willing to pay more. Okay. So I want to drill down on that a little bit from a couple different angles. One, I understand how how Chick-fil-A does that in the restaurant. I hear my pleasure. I see the giant uh, pepper grinder and that whole story. I, I hear uh, great customer service examples. But what does that look like in in the office? What were the decisions being made that implemented great purpose and winning the hearts of the customers? Well, I have so many examples from that personally, have, having worked there. Uh, one example would be, when I was working at Chick-fil-A, I not only did sports marketing and, and beverage marketing and regional marketing, I also worked locally with stores and actually represented the company on several markets, Atlanta, Memphis, Greenville, other markets like that. So we had this huge sports marketing event called the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And it was a big, big deal, big success. And then the next day I was scheduled to fly out to Memphis to put on my field marketing hat and deal with these, you know, not deal, but work and serve these operators. And I got a call the night before I was supposed to leave from my boss, David Salyers. And he said, hey, you've been just, you know, it's just been so busy. Um, I don't want you to go to Memphis. I would love for you to take a day off and just be with Wendy. And I said, well, Dave, I'm so, I'm so grateful for that. But, I, you know, I've already got my flight. I've already got this meeting and I'm, I'm already scheduled to go. He goes, oh, I know. I've already canceled everything for you. But you be sure to tell Wendy, let me get credit 
that I'm giving you a day off. <laughs> well, those kind of things um, are just, I mean, I could tell you story after huh. story after story. In fact, the book, my book opens with me driving Truett Cathy to a speaking engagement and Truett really asking me some questions about how do you like working here at Chick-fil-A? Is it good for your marriage? Is it good for your family life? Um, and we started talking about how do you be a good dad and also be a good business person? How do you be a good you know, spouse and be a good business person? And I began to understand, I think Truett is more interested in me as a person than he is me as a chicken salesman. Mm-hmm. And that's where I began to discover his secret, Rusty, of growing the business. That Truett was more interested in the business growing people than he was people growing the business because he understood that's how the business will grow. Mm-hmm. That if you grow people and that they get better and you genuinely care for them and you provide leadership opportunities and, and you encourage and challenge them, they're going to grow and the business will grow. It's just mm-hmm. a byproduct of it. So I experienced that kind of genuine care. I'll give you a, a recent example. Uh, three weeks ago, I was in West Palm Beach speaking at something, and Dan Cathy, who is the current CEO, Truett's son, Truett passed away a few years ago, um, heard I was going to be in West Palm. Well, I mean, imagine. I mean, Dan's the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. He's got better things to do than have coffee with me. But he he called me up and said, hey, I heard you're going to be in West Palm. Let's let's, let's get together. I want to hear how you're doing, how, how your transition from North Point's going. And Rusty, I mean, here, you know, that was, I left Chick-fil-A, you know, 18 years ago. And here I am having coffee with Dan and Kathy going, Hey, how, how are you doing? Tell me what's going on. And how, how are you, how are you liking it? And it's, that's just, I just experienced the genuine personal <laughs> care and that just flows, you know, from, from the company throughout, throughout the company. And I just, I mean, I have, again, I could take the rest of our time just talking about these personal stories, but it's not just about customer service. And it's about what is the team culture. And that's what I wrote about in the book because I really learned it from Chick-fil-A. The customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. So if if you're a business leader and you're like, we've got the best customer culture, but you have a dysfunctional team culture, just give it time. That team culture will ultimately erode the customer culture. And, and, and you know this, you know, you're a pastor. I'm a former pastor, preacher's kid. There's a notorious secret about the church world. <laughs> and the notorious secret about the church world is that oftentimes the church is a terrible place to work. Mm-hmm. And if the church is a terrible place to work, it's going to be a terrible place to attend. That's why the, the team culture being for the team really supersedes being for the customer. So as a former Chick-fil-A staff person, I experienced that genuine care um, as a team member. And no mm-hmm. wonder it flows to the customers. So you picked up all this great information, knowledge, experience from Chick-fil-A, and then you go and you you pioneer and plant this campus. Um, how'd you translate that over? How'd you make sure, because there's so much that Chick-fil-A had built up over the years. Now you're just starting out. Give me kind of your, you know, your first hundred days, or I'm going to do these three things every week, or what did you do to create that culture at the campuses you led? It really honestly took me by surprise because my first in- inclination, Rusty, is, well, that was not a waste of time, but okay, I'm going a completely different. I mean, I've gone from sports marketing to launching a church, two totally different things. Like, I kind of felt like I had wasted my time. And God, what are you doing? And my dad would always tell me, he would say, son, you're going to look back and you're going to see this this story that God was writing the whole time, but in the middle of it, you're not going to be able to understand it. So I leave Chick-fil-A to go help, you know, in the early days launch Buckhead Church. I'm like, this this makes no sense, but I'm Wendy and I are firmly believing and, and believe this is what we're supposed to do. I'm telling you, Rusty, my first staff meeting, it just it instantly clicked. All the six years of being dipped into the Chick-fil-A culture just started coming out of me. And I'm like, that's why I was there. And mm. not even Chick-fil-A, even beyond that. All this business experience, all this organizational leadership experience, because what I found, Rusty, is guess what I found? I found people there. And they had the same issues in the business world <laughs> as they had in the nonprofit world. We like to think that there's this gigantic barrier between the business world and the nonprofit world. There really isn't. I mean, there are differences. I totally get it. But I'm like, oh, these there are people here and they want to be led and they want to be, they need vision. They need 
to be served. They need to know where we're going. They need resources. They need systems. Um, we need a, we need their families need to know we are, are for them and that we love them. And all this stuff that I learned from Chick-fil-A just started coming out of me, particularly as it related to leadership development. And I mean, I, they, they did so many things from quarterly retreats, bringing different speakers in. And I would su- start, suddenly started leveraging my network and having different speakers come in who were not necessarily pastors, but just business leaders and, and having them come in and help these these staff members get better because just like Chick-fil-A helped me get better, I felt like it was my stewardship responsibility at Buckhead and Gwinnett Church to let the, or help the staff members who chose to work there to get better. And I told them this, I said, when you leave here, if you ever leave here, someday I want you to look back and go, my time working with Jeff Henderson was the best time in my career because he helped me get better. Mm. Well, the way I learned, the where, where I learned that was from my business experience and from from Chick-fil-A. So really, I began to discover all the things that I learned from leadership development, vision casting. Um, uh, leaders are repeaters. I, heard, I learned that from Truett, of him staying on message. All these lessons just started coming out of me. And, um, and then the same thing happened at North Point, you know, being around Andy and the team. Um, I'm able to... to, to like I was in St. Louis a couple of weeks and share with them some things I learned from my years at, at North Point. So I think having the the perspective of a student and know that mm. and this is true. You might be going through a very difficult season right now. You might have a very difficult boss. You know, some of your listeners might have a very difficult work environment, but I'm telling you this season will teach you something if you'll let it. So you bring up something really interesting there in regards to just you know, marketplace to ministry and things that, that transfer back and forth. You're a guy that was in the marketplace. You felt God lead you into ministry. Then you felt God lead you out of ministry back into the marketplace. How did you know that was God and not just ambition? I think Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners are always wondering what's God's will, what's God's will. And how do I know it's God's voice versus my own kind of desire and ambition isn't always wrong either. So Help our listeners kind of, you know, figure that out. It's a great question. And I'm not, Rusty, it may seem like I am, but I'm not a big fan of quick decisions. So okay. the, all of these decisions, like the decision to, to leave Chick-fil-A really was a three-year decision. Mm-hmm. The decision to leave Buckhead Church to Gwinnett Church was not that long, but it was several months. And the decision to leave Gwinnett Church to do what I'm doing now was about a year and a half. And I've really, you know, this, there's a biblical principle that says plans fail for lack of advisors, but with many advisors, plans succeed. So I have advisors. I, I got this idea from Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. Um, and he, he wrote this in one of his books. He said, if Coca-Cola has a board, you should have a board, you know? And I thought, <laughs> that's a... It's probably an insightful question. I mean, why would I need a board? But I thought, no, I mean, I've got this once, this is one opportunity called my life. So for the last 17 years, I've had a personal advisory board. And then I surround them with another outside circle of mentors, advisors. Ultimately, I'm listening to my wife, Wendy. Um, and so I get plenty of advisors. But about a year and a half ago, in one of my personal advisory board meetings, one of the guys said, "Hey, what do you? What are your? What's your plans for when you and when do you become empty nesters? Mm. That's going to be in May of 2020. Um, what do you want to do?" And I thought, "Well, I really haven't really thought about it." He said, "Well, you need to." Um, and I'm, he said, "I'm not telling you to. You need to change anything, but I think you need to think through that season." So we began to pray about it. Um, the book came out, um, and about around this time. And it really started opening up a lot of opportunities to eventually we got to the point to go, you know what? I think this is what we want to do. And so what I call this, I call this um, uh, a, car- a career risk calculator or, or, or a perspective. Maybe a, an analogy would be when it comes to making a career risk like this, there's certainly risk. There was risk that Buckhead Church wasn't going to work, right? So, and this was back in the day when video church trustee was just what in the world? The preachers on video, this is crazy. So, I mean, you look back on it now and go, oh, it's a no brainer. It was not a no brainer then, but I wanted to shrink the gap. So for three years, knowing that I think this is what I'm called to do, 
I got plenty of advice, plenty of advice, and I just started taking small steps along the way, and I would shrink the gap. I think sometimes we think of a career risk as the Grand Canyon. What I want to do is to shrink it down to a mud puddle. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, I, if, if it doesn't work, I'm going to get wet and muddy, but I'm not going to fall to the depths, right? Mm-hmm. So I try mm-hmm. to, there's still risk associated with that. So there's still risk associated to what I'm doing now, even though I'm six months into it. But sometimes the greatest risk isn't leaving. Sometimes the greatest risk is staying. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get a green light with every one of my voices in my life. And I got a green light on all these big decisions. And, but if I got a green light with everybody, but I got a red light with Wendy, I would not move. And, or until she was ready. Because I don't want to make a big career risk and then hit the inevitable ups and downs because there's going to be ups and downs in anything. And then for Wendy to go, well, I, I didn't think we should do this in the first place. Right. But in these six months, we've had some incredible days. We've had some very difficult days. But she would look at me and she would say, but we know that this is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. That happened at Buckhead, that happened at Gwinnett, and that happened now. So, um, but I, I'll give you a quick example. When I was at Chick-fil-A and I went to the Willow Creek Leadership Conference, that's where I felt like the, the first feeling like, oh no, God's calling me to be a pastor someday. <laughs> and I went home and told Wendy, I said, either it's the Malnati's deep dish pizza I ate all weekend long, mm. or God spoke to me think we're supposed to help start a church someday. I have no idea what we're supposed to do. And then the next Sunday, we went to North Point Community Church. Mm. Well, in the movies, what happens, Rusty, is I march into Chick-fil-A and resign and start you know, Buckhead Church the week after the next. Right. That's not what happened. I mean, Video Church and Buckhead Church really wasn't even on the horizon. I just went back to, I went back to Gwinnett. I'm sorry, I went back to Chick-fil-A and just kept on doing what I was doing. Because, and here's an important point. Your dream job often leads through your day job. And if, if you've got a listener out there and like, I want to find my dream job, but I'm so frustrated with my day job, totally understand that. But how you find your dream job typically is through your day job. Excuse me. Let me interrupt the podcast for just one second. We are quickly approaching 1 million downloads. That's so exciting. I cannot thank our listeners enough. So I want to give out some gifts. We're going to give out some autographed books. We're going to give out some resources. And we're going to give out a secret ingredient in much of the food I grew up on in the Midwest. And I still use it today. Nope, it's nothing I've created. It's a product that is an additive for your food. It's healthy. It's good. Oh, you've never thought about this particular spice before. You're going to love it. It's going to be in the pack. Just go to PastorRustyGeorge.com. Sign up for the chance to win this gift packet. We're going to give out a bunch of them. Make sure you do that. Okay, back to the episode. Totally understand that, but how you find your dream job typically is through your day job. That's so rich. Great stuff there, Jeff. Okay, so tell me about this personal board of advisors. Um, How did you select them? Did you... Did you ask them? Did they suggest themselves? Uh, do you have annual board meetings, quarterly reports, P&L sheets? I mean, w- tell, walk me through this a little bit. So for me, these were guys that were actually uh, a part of Buckhead Church. They were able to see me in action, if you will, on a Sunday. So they're able to give me feedback. And these are guys that are older than me. So, And I would often tell them, Rusty, you're way older than me, but their, <laughs> their, their marriage was one that I would say, Oh, I want our marriage to be like that. When we get their age, their kids were fantastic. Their careers, their finances, their spiritual life, all of it was just at a, at a place where I thought, okay, I want to be like that when I get to be their place in life. And so I would come with it. We would, we would meet seven, seven uh, times a year. And I, and then obviously I'm seeing these guys on a regular basis, right? But we would actually have board meetings and I would bring the agenda half the time and then they would bring agenda half the time. And once or twice a year, Wendy would be in and, um, and she would give them feedback and then they would ask her, Hey, how's he doing? And what's, what's going on? And, and, um, he's talking a great game. Like he's a great husband, but is he really a great husband? It was so great because sometimes I would come to these meetings, Rusty, 
I would be bothered by something. And by saying the words that would come out of my mouth, I would go, why am I even bothered by, by this? But because we sometimes right. we don't say things out loud, right? And when you say things out loud, a mentor of mine says, when you, when you bring it into the light, many times it loses its, its power over you. Then there were other times I would say something and say, I think this is bothering me. And my board members would say, that would bother me too. You need to pay attention to that. And, and not, not all the time it was about work. A lot of times it was about raising kids or, you know, how can I be a better husband? But then when it got into leaving Buckhead for Gwinnett or when it got into leaving Gwinnett for what I'm doing now with the Ford company, these guys were just gold. And, and they've, they still check in with me, obviously. Um, but my last, I had this, the staff through this wonderful event for me before I left and they were there and I was able to thank them um, for, for just leading us over these 17 years. So, mm. but I think I would take it seriously. Um, and I did take it seriously. So if you want to have a board, take it like it, you're Coca-Cola and you've got to report to the board. How many people? It was four. Okay. Four people. That's great. Um, okay. I want to, I want to hear more about you being a preacher's kid. Uh, ever since I decided to be a pastor, I've been relentlessly asking guys, who were preachers' kids? What their dad did well? Um, tell me what you learned. I mean, you said you didn't want to be in the church, and here you are. I said I'd never pastor in California. Here I am. <laughs> never say 18 never. Eighteen years worth, exactly. So, what did you learn from your dad? What'd you do differently from your dad? What'd you try to pass on to your kids? Um, just you know, maybe some just touch points you always had in your mind that you said this is what I'm going to do or not do. So my first memory of the church world was we would come home every Sunday night. And we went to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Amen. Sunday night, and Wednesday. Absolutely. Because, you know, Sunday to Sunday, that's too far of a gap. We got to get back together on Wednesday. So mm-hmm. we would come back. We lived in this little house, and I have an older sister, older brother, and younger brother. And we would watch Wonderful World of Disney every Sunday night. And my parents mm-hmm. would be in the other room, pour a cup of coffee, and my dad would say, to my mom, well, Margaret, brother so-and-so is mad about this. Deacon so-and-so is mad about that. Deacon so-and-so wants to meet about this. And hearing that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday night, I had my first cognizant thought of the local church. And that was, why do these people hate my dad? Hmm. That was my first thought. And I don't think people understand the pressure that a pastor's family has. Mm. Um, I feel feel like the most overlooked person in the church is the spouse of the lead pastor. That's for another podcast for another time. So, and I always wondered, how did my dad not implode under the the weight of the criticism? And and here's why I tell you the story. He taught me something that's been so incredibly helpful uh, being a lead pastor for 17 years. And I know you've got a variety of different listeners and they may be all sorts of places from a spiritual standpoint, but let me just tell you from, you know, from my dad's perspective, I would tell my, I would ask my dad, how do you not get so frustrated? You just want to leave. And, uh, and he said, well, son, don't confuse Jesus with Jesus followers Mm. because only one of them is perfect. (laughs) And my dad was able to separate Deacon so-and-so, brother so-and-so, and Jesus. And they go, okay, they've got their issues. I have my issues, but I'm not going to allow them to impact my relationship with Jesus. So seeing that just was so helpful for me over these last 17 and a half years. And, you know, especially in these last this last year, it's been just so volatile. Um <laughs> I got this email before I left Gwinnett Church. It was a 14-paragraph email about why this couple was leaving the church. And because of an email that I had supposedly sent out about a you know cultural issue. So I said, okay, well, I'm sorry you're leaving, but can you send me that email? Because I have no recollection of this email that you're talking about. I mean, they were, they were fired up, angry. Jeff, we are so disappointed in you and all this kind of stuff. So I said, okay, can you send me that email? Because I don't know what you're talking about. So then they responded a few minutes later. And now the email was two sentences to say, dear Jeff, I'm sorry. It didn't come from Gwinnett church. It came from Gwinnett magazine. <laughs> Just the email font looked different. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. You've got another 13 paragraphs to go. Right. So, I mean, I can only imagine your life right now with the criticism. So, 
my my dad just said, don't confuse Jesus' followers with Jesus. Only one of them is perfect. I never wondered whether or not my dad um, uh, was prioritized as a dad. And I mean, he was at as many ball games as he could possibly be at. Um, we weren't a secondary byproduct, and the church got his best. And uh, and I think he gave my brothers and sister the best gift he could give us, which was a great marriage to my mom. Mm. And uh, but that said, my dad worked really, really hard, and uh, especially at preaching. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll say one other quick story. So my dad, when I was a junior in high school, my dad and I started a, a ministry to high school students. And we would travel around the state of Georgia. We did this for six years, Rusty. And it was fantastic time for me to spend time with my dad. But I learned so much about speaking. Mm-hmm. I really cut my teeth on speaking in front of high school students. Because, you know, high school students are awesome. But if you don't, you know, capture their attention in, in three minutes, they'll just turn and start talking to their friends. I don't care. Yeah. So I, I just learned so much. But one time we were leaving a church and my dad would always say, son, that was the greatest sermon I've ever, I've ever heard. In fact, when, when I got married and I would go speak and, and my dad was there and my dad would say this and, and, and Wendy would say, have you ever noticed that every sermon is the greatest message your dad has ever heard? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's because it's true, baby. I mean, he's just stating it. He's just stating the truth. So anyway, but this one particular Sunday, this is when I was a teenager. We're driving away from this big church, and he doesn't say anything. It gets quiet. And then he said, you weren't prepared today, were you? And oh, wow. I, go, Ooh. I said, no, sir, I wasn't. And rather than get angry, he shared something really, really important. He goes, okay, so people got up. They didn't have to come to church today, but they got up and they came and they sat down and they listened and they gave us one of the greatest gifts they could ever give. And that is to listen to us. Yeah. And you disrespect people when you don't show up prepared. You've got the gift of communication. That's the good news. But don't squander it. Always show up prepared. Wow. And Rusty, I have never forgotten that. And that's been, I have no idea, 40-something years maybe. So, um, so always show up prepared. Don't, don't confuse Jesus with Jesus' followers. The best gift you can give your church and really your family is, a, is the healthiest marriage that you can possibly give. And, but I think it's also helpful for the church to understand that the pastor doesn't have all the, is not perfect. They don't have a perfect marriage. Nobody has a perfect marriage. You know, they don't have a perfect family. There's, there are people just like you and me. In fact, when I told Buckhead Church back in the day that I really was struggling with anxiety, I, I initially thought that I would lose a lot of influence. But, I mean, it was just like this wave of like, we will follow you anywhere because you told us mm. your, what's really, some struggles of what's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, that, those are some lessons that, that I learned from my dad. But at the end of the day, the, he would also say, you're going to, you know, Someday there's going to be another pastor at Buckhead Church, but because he didn't, he was in the early days of Gwinnett, but he passed away shortly when we started starting Gwinnett. But, but don't, and I learned this from Andy too. There's only going to be one first husband for Wendy, and there's only going to be one dad for Jesse and Cole. And I'm so grateful that when we finished at Gwinnett back mm. in September of last year, uh, we loved it. You know, it was bittersweet because we, you know, um, even though we feel called, felt called to leave, we love the people there and love the time. But I was so grateful that my family and my marriage just kept moving on. Mm. And um, and so all these are seasons. So hold them, hold them loosely. Yeah. So. Oh, that's good stuff. Really good stuff. All right, I want to talk about your book. Um, I love this book, uh, and I, it came out of obviously not just a talk that you did, but kind of a movement that began through. Uh, your church. And the book is called Know What You're For, but it's also often referred to as hashtag for and the movement that started there. Educate our listeners as to how this began and what the idea behind the book is. A lot of it, Rusty, came from my business experience and bringing that in. And it really came down to two questions. What do you want to be known for? And what are you known for? And I really feel like these two questions can unleash growth and potential, not only in a business, but also in a church and really also in an individual. And here's why. 
So what do you want to be known for is your unique vision, what you bring uniquely to the marketplace. That's great. That's, hey, here's who we are. This is what we are as a business. Here's what we are as a restaurant. Here's what we are as a church. That's what, that's what the team gets to answer. The second question, though, and this is why these two questions are important. The second question is, what are you known for? What are you known for? That's not yours to answer. It's the customers or the people that you serve. It's their reflection back to you on whether you are delivering on the brand promise, if you will, on question number one. Now, here's why I say these two questions are the secret to growth. When the answers to these two questions match, when what you want to be known for is what you're known for, then you harness the greatest form of advertising the world will ever know, and that's positive word of mouth advertising. Because let's just take it from the business world. A business is no longer what it tells customers it is. A business is what customers tell other customers it is. Mm -hmm. That's the ballgame. So, for example, if I were to say, Rusty, I've just launched the best hot dog stand in town in Atlanta. So you come to Atlanta when you can travel again and get to Atlanta. You come to Jeff's hot dog stand and you have a hot dog and you're like, I don't think this is the best hot dog stand in town. And you go on Yelp and go, Jeff's hot dog stand in town is not the best in town. You win, I lose. And no matter how much advertising I can have, eventually my business will implode because I'm not leveraging. uh, I'm not delivering on my brand promise. So there's a gap between in any organization, there's a gap between what you want to be known for and what you are known for. Mm-hmm. That's why every single day, no matter what an organization does, no matter what the roles are, everybody comes to work doing the same thing. And mm-hmm. that is to shrink the gap between what we want to be known for and what we are known for. Uh, for example, as much as I love Chick-fil-A, somebody in America today got some cold waffle fries, right? There's a gap. There's a gap in any organization. There's a gap in any person. I think Mm -hmm. these two questions apply to us individually. What do you want to be known for as a person? And what are you known for? And that we have to go to the people in our lives to see if we're delivering on the brand promise. Mm -hmm. Now, here's why this happened. Here's why this was so helpful within our context as a church. But just again, as I was mentioning, just because it's a church doesn't mean a business can't apply it. So when we started going at church, we asked the question, what do we want to be known for? Well, we weren't known for anything because we, had, we weren't even in existence. But in our early days, somebody on our team said, you know, when it comes to the church, I think many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And we all just looked at each other and thought, oh, my goodness, that's powerful and sad all at the same time. Yeah. And then we began to ask the question, okay, what do we want to be known for? Right. And so we said, we should be for Gwinnett kids and for Gwinnett families. Gwinnett is a county in Northeast Atlanta. And in a few years, it'll be the largest populated county in Georgia. It um, is the most diverse county in the entire Southeastern United States. A lot of people don't know that. Hmm. So this unique county with so much potential. So we want to be four Gwinnett schools, four Gwinnett kids, four Gwinnett parents, you know, four Gwinnett businesses. And that's where it started. So when we bought the property where the current location, the first, there's two Gwinnett church locations now. When we bought the property of the first location, the city where we are said, hey, you could put a sign out there that said Gwinnett church coming soon. And I said, that's exactly what I don't want to do. I don't want our first impression to have the word church on it because many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. So we just put a sign out there that said, hashtag for Gwinnett. Hmm. There was no website. There was no Bible verse. There was nothing. And I got feedback from people saying, now, how are they going to know what that is? How are they going to know it's a church? And I said, exactly. They're not. They're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to ask people. So then we gave our volunteers, we had about 100 volunteers at the time, these free T-shirts. Everybody likes T-shirts. It said Four Gwinnett. And I said, now, I want you to wear these in the ballparks and the grocery stores and, and wherever you go. And when people come up to you and go, Four Gwinnett, now, there's a building being built up here. What, what, what is that? And whatever you say next is gold, all right? And so I said, here's what I want you to say, that it's going to be a church. And they're going to ask you, well, why does it say Four Gwinnett? And then I want you to say, well, for many people, they're more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And we believe God is for you, and we are too. 
And those conversations, Rusty, just mm. you know, catapulted our church forward. Because again, it's positive word of mouth advertising. But I'll go back to my business experience. I learned vision casting and staying on message. And you got to have just a few words. I learned that in the business world mm-hmm. and being able to bring that into the church world. So we launched that. Um, it really began to have some traction. And then about two years later, I started getting um, coffee mugs and T-shirts in the mail. The first one I got was for Winnipeg. The next one I got was for Austin and then for Pittsburgh. And I mean, I, now I've got you know for Dubai and for Guatemala. And it just started suddenly just sort of taking off. And I thought, how cool is that? And part of our goal in doing this is we want to have a four- church, a four-minded church in every, every major city in America by 2025. That's not to say, I mean, I'm a, I'm a small town guy, so, you know, I'm a small town boy, so I'm all for small towns, but that just gives us a little bit of a litmus test to go, okay, yeah. we've got these number of major cities in America. We want to go after those. By the tw- we want to have at least one four-minded church in every major city in America. And um, so it's been fun. It's been fun to see all that play out, but that's where, that's where it kind of came out. And then I started to hear from businesses, especially business leaders in our church, saying, hey, could you come talk to our staff about foregoing that? And then a mentor of mine, uh, one of my board members actually said, you ought to write a book about this. And so here, here we are. I, I didn't think it would have caused me to leave North Point Ministries. So be careful writing a book. You never know what's going to happen. But that's that's where it all where where it all started. And I've loved being able to share this perspective from a church standpoint. But I've loved being able to share it from a business standpoint. So what I do now, and you know, as we begin to have restrictions lift, like I was in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned, so I'll go preach on Sunday and put my preacher hat on. And then the next day, I'll put my business hat on and talk about the four message and how to grow your business. And it's been, a, mm-hmm. it's been an opportunity for the church to grow, to, to, to grow by inviting business people that might not typically attend on a Sunday, but they can come to the building and look around and go, wow, this place is pretty cool. What do y'all do here? Mm-hmm. So that's part of the premise of trying to reach people that might not normally come on a Sunday, mm-hmm. but they may make a first step toward doing this on a Monday. Um, mm. So that's kind of a long answer to your oh, I love good that. question. But that's, that's how the book started. That's where the two questions come from. And I love the fact that it's really applicable to whatever side, whether you're on nonprofit or for-profit, it really can apply. Mm-hmm. Well, and just thinking about having teenagers, you know, passing that on to them. What are you known Absolutely. for? What do you want to be known for? That's uh, such good stuff. Okay, listen, I want to honor your time. So we're going to move into kind of a lightning round here. I'm going to give you just a series of questions. You get one sentence to answer them. Um, and we'll just uh, have some fun here, all right? It's hard for a preacher to have just one sentence. But I know, I'll give it a shot. I know. A preacher and a preacher's kid. Man, that's a double whammy. <laughs> okay. Uh, your standard order at Chick fil A Chick fil A, number one, extra pickles, large Coke. Because I grew up in Atlanta and they teach you to eat Chick fil A and drink Coca Cola. Amen. All right. Best way to honor volunteers in the church handwritten thank you notes. And the more specific you can be, the better. So on Sunday nights, I would ask our team, are there any stories this week that I could write a handwritten note to? And those those personal examples are just, I mean, when I left Gwinnett Church, I had so many people say, I still have the note that you, you sent me. So uh, those handwritten thank you notes are huge. That's great. Uh, one thing, and I know it's many, but one thing you learned from Truett Cathy. It is many, but I'll say this, the two ways that you improve, the books you read and the people you interact with. Mm, That's good. One thing you learned from Andy Stanley. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Oh, love that. Uh, Something you read every day besides the Bible. This is going to be odd, so I know this is more than one sentence. I read my obituary. And uh, Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I encourage you to write your obituary and to read it. So... um, as odd as that seems, that's what I do. That's brilliant. Uh, best blogs or uh, maybe some kind of news feed that you read every day to stay up to date. From a church world standpoint, Kerry Newhoff is you know his blog is is, is awesome. I love Kerry, and he didn't pay me to say that by the way, even though he's a good <laughs> friend of mine. And I tell you, the podcast that I really lean a lot from is Donald Miller's uh, Business Made Simple. 
uh, mm-hmm. podcast. And, and then how I built this, that NPR podcast, yeah, it's, uh, it's with entrepreneurs. I, that just helps me stay up to speed with entrepreneurs, especially in this season. Mm. Okay, last one. Quickest way for a church to show they are for their community. The word quickest is really important here, Rusty. So I'll say this. The quickest way is social media and start talking about your community on social media because you can start promoting. If you're not careful, you'll just promote yourself all the time. So flip the switch and start talking about your community, your local schools, your local Mm. businesses, your local community, and they will notice it when you start talking about them. That's the quickest way. You can do that. When, When this podcast is over, you can do that immediately. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you in person soon. Love to have you out to real life sometime and to work with our leaders and our business leaders too. It's been a blessing, man. Thank you. Thanks, Rusty. Let's make that happen. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Man, such great stuff. And I'm definitely doing the double pickle next time I'm at Chick-fil-A. As always, we'll have information on the show notes. You can check that out. And hey, share this with a friend. Uh, Jeff's book... um, Uh, How to Know What You're For is so, so good. And I think if you were to share this episode with some people, they would want to get that book as well. So pass this on to a friend. And if you wouldn't mind, subscribe to the podcast. That way you get all the bonus content sent to you and it comes to you right away directly to wherever you get your podcasts. Love to get a review from you if it's a good one, not a bad one. But write us a review that helps us get the word out. Special thanks to Red Letter Challenge for today. And next week, we're jumping into another batch of new content. Oh, I can't wait for you to hear this one. This is my conversation with Tony Newhoff. She is the wife of Carrie Newhoff, and she is the brains behind the operation, as you will soon find out. She's got a new book out about marriage you're going to love, so make sure you're joining us next week, and we'll continue our conversation. As always, thanks for listening to Leading Simple, help for the overwhelmed. We'll talk to you next week. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Learn.